Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was married for 30 years in that relationship for 32, and we didn't find out we were a neurodiverse couple until our 29th year of marriage. I've been divorced almost five years, and together we have an amazing adult daughter who is thriving and doing fantastic. And I have shared that for season five, I'm going to have three amazing guest co-hosts, and I am really excited for my guest co-host today, who is Dr. Bronwyn Wilson, and Bron and I have become fast friends, <laughs> even though we're in two different worlds. She's in Australia, and I'm in the United States. So Braun, let me just tell you a little bit about Braun. She has been doing a lot of research on neurodiverse couples, which we'll be talking about throughout the episodes we are doing together. And recently, her first of three books has come out. It's called Have They Gone Nuts? The Survival Guide to Social Interaction in Neurodiverse Autistic Neurotypical Relationships. And Bron, I just want to welcome you and thank you so much for joining me as a guest co-host. Well, thank you, Mona. Um, hi, I am Bron, and um, I first discovered autism when I was teaching and doing a um, checklist on a child, and then it really started to click with me and. I realized that lots of my family and um, both my, I've been married before and I'm married again to a, a, in a neurodiverse relationship. So I've had two neurodiverse relationships. I believe that um, most of my family are on the spectrum um, and a lot of my friends are on the spectrum. So I'm I'm around a lot of people on the spectrum. So I've learned a lot from them. Uh -huh. <laughs> and um, I uh, have learned more in my research. And so I really feel that um, I have had a very big education on the inside of a neurodiverse relationship in order to then go on and do research in the academic arena. Mm. I love it. And, you know, I, I read your book, you sent me a copy and I just devoured it. And we're going to be talking on each episode that we do together a little bit about our personal experiences, and then what you have found in your research. And I hope that the listeners are going to learn, not only learn something new, but this is going to be an opportunity for neurodiverse couples to know that they're not alone, that it's not just Mona and Braun talking, that you actually did your thesis and your dissertation on neurodiverse relationships. So there's so much we get to talk about. And today we're gonna talk about kind of in the beginning, you know, there was magic. In the beginning of neurodiverse relationships, we see this in the beginning maybe of your research, um, in the beginning of conversations. So let's, let's give folks a little bit of a historical context regarding neurodiversity in relationships because 
we know, Braun, autism, autism isn't a new thing. <laughs> it didn't happen yesterday. Somebody didn't just pull it out of thin air. It's been around as long as we've had human beings walking this earth. The, yes. Right? <laughs> yes, it has, but we didn't know. And that's right. been the major problem is we just didn't know that was what we were actually dealing with as human beings, that, that we've got basically um, different types of human beings is how I think of it. Um, mm -hmm. not, not flawed, not, um, not sort of a, a problem, but a difference. And so we need to look at it, I think, like that in as far as it's a difference. But the problem um, in, in the world I, I see is that most people think that autism is a childhood problem mm -hmm. and they think that, that people grow out of it or that they can be trained out of it. Um, but the thing is, uh, people um, who are autistic remain autistic all their lives. They don't grow out of it. They right. may learn how to deal with their life better, but they don't grow out of autism. And um, because people mask well, um, autistic people can mask, um, people that meet them don't realize that they're autistic and sometimes they don't realize that they're autistic either. So um, we've got this whole issue of not understanding what autism actually is, especially in the adult world. Yeah, I, I so agree. And, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, I think we are fortunate in that more of our TVs and movies are portraying individuals who may be neurodiverse, may be autistic, may be autistic and ADHD, but still we keep seeing these stereotypes yes. and we see, you know, one particular type of personality. And we know, you and I know, and, you know, a lot of others who are in this world if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. And yeah. right. I mean, you, you might meet an autistic person who's in it or engineering and then turn around and meet an autistic person who's a nurse or an artist or a musician. So yeah, the stereotype doesn't necessarily show the true nature of a person who's autistic. No, I find that um, what's, they're portraying on TV tends to um, be a bit of a problem because it does make people think that that's what an autistic person looks like. Mm -hmm. But um, people on the autism spectrum can be very chatty, it can be um, very social, can be all sorts of, of things because we're all different. And um, because of that, you could meet somebody and not even know that they're on the autism spectrum and sometimes they don't know themselves. Right. So right. Um, I think that we need to do a better job of educating the world on what autism actually is. 
Absolutely. And your book and my podcast and the other work that we're doing and so many other people now, I think in the last 10 years, um, have really kind of opened up that door. And I want to talk a little bit about the lost generation, because that is a term that is used a lot, um, especially by professionals and folks that um, are in the academic world. There's this whole generation of folks that never got assessed, never got diagnosed, never got accommodations, never got support, never knew why they felt different. And now some of them are thriving and doing fantastic in careers where they're supported to use their gifts and their strengths. And some of them are really struggling. And so do you want to share a little bit about how you define the lost generation and what you found? Well, I found that um, because people grow up without really knowing both um, the person on the spectrum and people around them, um, they really don't know what is, is their difference. Struggle. I know they yeah. struggle, many of them, to find their niche, to find their, you know, friends or people where they can fit in. And I hear this over and over again in the neurodiverse couple support groups that I run where the autistic partner says something like, I wish I knew earlier. You know, I, yeah. I feel like I lost 40, 50, 60 years of my life, right? Yes, and it's also the same for the neurotypical person. I feel very much like I wish I'd known earlier because I could have done things differently. I would have known. And so I would have been able to, to make more informed decisions. So I think it's for both sides in a relationship. It's for the person on the spectrum. Um, they are not understanding themselves and their own struggle, but also we as neurotypicals don't understand their struggle and don't understand why we are struggling with yeah. them in trying to connect and interact because we're on different wavelengths but um, because there is a lack of knowledge of that, we can't really um, get through and, and to find a solution because when you don't know, you don't know. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what causes, and I say this over and over again, the unintentional, unintentional hurt, pain, and trauma. And I repeatedly, you know, I am all about full disclosure here regarding what I did. I absolutely was a screamer. I absolutely hurt my ex-husband. I absolutely did and said things that if I had known that we were a neurodiverse couple earlier, I would have done differently because I was acting as though we were a neurotypical couple. And I know a lot of folks feel, I'm just going to put this out there, um, and even guilt, because either they, they themselves are autistic and didn't know and they did things that might have been, you know, hurtful or neglectful or whatever. And the same goes for the neurotypical or non-autistic. So there's a whole lost generation out there 
that mm. is trying to figure out, you know, where do they go from here, knowing that you, you know, nobody can relive the past, right? Yes. And that's a real shame that um, we didn't know earlier, but then also um, looking to the future, um, my passion is to educate because I am a teacher. So I really want to educate people in this area so that um, we don't continue on with that, that we can um, help each other through the, the differences and to work out what to do better. Um, what we did before in the past was not so good. Right. So hopefully in the future, um, we can get better strategies, get better understanding of each other so that we don't continue that history. Yes, I so agree. I know there's so many autistic folks that I've heard from and talked to who said, you know, they they suffered immensely as children. Um, and and I know that a lot of folks today who have had children in various programs, they talk about the challenges that they've had with different systems. So hopefully things will get better over time. I think they're already getting better and better because of social media. And so many folks are out there talking about their lived experiences as autistic individuals and autistic and ADHD individuals. So kind of thank God for social media because <laughs> you know? people get to be real and they need, they get a chance to speak their truth. So let's talk a little bit about um, some of the characteristics and qualities, uh, you know, in the beginning that maybe uh, couples might see in each other before they know they're a neurodiverse couple and some of the characteristics and qualities that folks maybe shared with you were um, maybe important and even attracted them to their partners, whether it was the autistic partner or the neurotypical or non-autistic partner. What, what do you see are some of the characteristics and the qualities? Well, um, I think the, the main difference between a person on the spectrum and a neurotypical person appears to be um, talking, mm. uh, communication. And because uh, neurotypical people want to... Um, interact with other people, talk and chat and, and connect on a deep level. And that is a, a difficult place for a person on the spectrum to go. That's a major difference. But what I find is that, that um, people on the spectrum are very good at uh, learning and watching and observing others. So they learn scripts on how to um, interact um, when they first meet somebody as mm -hmm. an adult. And so they get uh, very good at um, the courtship stage of the relationship. And as a neurotypical, um, you think that this person is absolutely wonderful and you know, the best thing since sliced bread. Right. <laughs> and so you get together with a certain idea in mind 
but because the person on the spectrum may not even know that they are, and you as a neurotypical don't know that they are, you're sort of getting together with a different with different ideas in your head. And then when you um, form a relationship and it becomes a, um, over time it develops into a deeper relationship, the issue then is that um, that first initial um, the scripts and the masking that that people on the spectrum do can't be maintained because it's it's um, in a relationship it needs to be you need to go deeper and and do more interaction and Very because important. that doesn't occur and there's this then this major difference between the two people the neurotypical person wants more and more connection more going deeper in their relationship um, but the neurodiverse person the the um, person on the spectrum well that's a challenge for them to interact on that same level and um, it causes them um, issues because it's a it's a, a problem for them mm -hmm. to do um, that sort of level so then you start to get a division in the relationship and that's when things start to to break down a bit because there's this difference of communication one wants more and one wants less mm -hmm. and so um, that creates um, more and more conflict within the relationship. And that's where we need to really tackle is the understanding of what actually is the problem makes a difference. But if you don't understand that that's what's going on in your relationship, um, it causes a lot of pain and suffering for both sides. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And this is what it, it literally breaks my heart over and over. Well, I shouldn't even say that. It makes me sad. It makes me sad. Every couple that I have had the opportunity to meet, they love each other. They may be totally annoyed and angry and bitter and lacking trust at the point that I get to meet them. But they all fell in love at some point. They fell in love with all those special qualities and all those characteristics that made their partner endearing, whether they're the autistic partner or the neurotypical partner. And at some point, like you said, when the uh, usually it's the autistic partner isn't able to either hold on to that mask, hold on to that script and meet the expectations of the non-autistic or neurotypical partner, the conflict may begin or the resentment may begin. Or it may be when they have children. Or it may be, and I hear this over and over again, we, we were long distance. We were a long distance couple. We saw each other every other week. We saw each other every month. You know, we talked on the phone. We sent texts. We sent emails. And it was great. And then oh. we moved in with each other and everything changed. Oh. So, 
you know, I think what you're saying is so important. And I also think it's important for the listeners to think about what attracted them to their partner, what they fell in love with, and can they really focus more on those things as they now know they're a neurodiverse couple? And then, like you said, work on addressing the problems that they're having, not focusing on the differences they have. So thoughts on that? Any thoughts? Yes, well, that's that's the the real key to it all. But I think that the, the, the important thing with that is understanding. You know, where do you go to get understanding? Because in this um, lack of understanding world that we live in, there's not many people that can help. Um, there's not many people that know what you actually do in that circumstance. Um, because the thing is, people have needs. Their needs are their needs. It's not mm -hmm. like um, not like you can just go without your needs and be a happy person. You need your needs met. Right. And, and so a neurotypical person needs to have that connection that they're not getting. And a, um, a person on the spectrum, they need to have more alone time to diffuse the feelings that they um, get overwhelmed with all the the need of the neurotypical to have this connection and this um, interaction that is quite difficult at times. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the, the real issue is to be able to find how do we actually go about learning how to overcome that and keep our relationship? Because like you said, most people do love each other and want to stay in a relationship. And in my research, I found that when people do start to understand um, that they're in a neurodiverse relationship, um, that increases their desire to stay in the relationship simply because they now have a you know, aha moment of I know what's going on now. It's not um, what I first thought. But the issue is, okay, what, what then? What next? Right. Um, how do we go from... Um, beginning to understand that we're in a neurodiverse relationship to then getting the support and help that we need because um, a lot of people, a lot of therapists, a lot of counsellors, they don't know mm -hmm. because the world doesn't really know. Right. And most people went through their education at a time when this was not something to consider so a lot of people out there in the in the professional world, um, unless they went through uh, a neurodiverse relationship themselves, they don't have the education and the understanding to help us in our relationships. Yep, I absolutely agree. And that's why the work that we're doing 
the research you've done, the books you're writing, you being on the podcast is so critical. It's so important. And last season, I interviewed about 20 therapists and coaches who had gone through the AANE certification for working with neurodiverse couples. And AANE is here in the United States. But I think, you know, you're everything you said is just pure gold in that yeah we don't we don't educate our helping professionals whether we're talking about therapists and counselors we don't educate them about neurodiversity and neurodiverse relationships we don't educate the medical field people in the healthcare world because Uh there are needs that people have when they go to see a doctor or if a nurse is working with them or an occupational therapist or physical therapist, somebody might have sensory sensitivities or what have you. Um, They may have, you know, different processing um, issues when they're being communicated with and they need to know about this first, but if they say they're having problems, they need to have the respect and, accommodations that they need whether they the person they're working with knows they're neurodiverse or not and I want to share you know I know what you're saying is so true about we each have our needs we each have our wants we each have things that we want to have happen in our intimate relationships and I say this every time I talk to the folks in the support groups that I run, and I especially say it to um, the neurodiverse couples because I have yet to meet one that has has really gone deep and discussed this. And this is, you know, what are your wants? What are your needs? What are your dreams? What are your values? What are your non-negotiables? And do you have boundaries? And if so, have you communicated them in a way your partner can hear? And I created the Neurodiverse Love Conversation Cards, Braun, because those are the questions I wish my ex-husband and I had answered in the beginning Mm -hmm. of our relationship. Because even though we didn't know we were a neurodiverse couple until our 29th year of marriage, if we had answered those questions, we would have understood each other so much better. Mm. And we probably would not have had the difficulties that we had and we wouldn't have hurt each other so much. Mm. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Knowing that you're a neurodiverse couple is a great first start. But knowing what you need, want, your dreams, your values, your non-negotiables, and your boundaries are so critical. And it's not something you can talk about overnight or, you know, over a drink at dinner. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right? That's why I also did this research and um, am writing the books to put the research into a more readable format than a thesis um, so that I can put into um, the world, I guess you could say, um, the the things that I found because I went to the people. I mean, I interviewed, um, researched, um, surveyed um, 400 people all around the world through, um, back then it was Skype rather than Zoom, 
um, and phone and emails and um, did everything that I possibly could to talk with and um, survey people all around the world so that I could then um, help with this situation as much as I possibly could to do my, my bit in trying to um, educate us as in, in a neurodiverse relationship, but also the people that help us, the right. people that are you know, in um, doing the, the therapy and counseling, um, I'm trying to educate them as well to say, this is what we need you to know in order to help us. Yeah. So um, I've written the first book um, that is sort of basically the, the um, foundation of what I found in my research. But the second book that I'm writing, um, that I'm writing now, is specifically towards um, the counsellors, therapists, and also family and friends, because that's another area that I um, have found is a struggle and um, it came out strongly in my research too, mm -hmm. is that when people talk to their family and their friends, um, there's a real disconnect there with understanding as well. Yeah. So families... Um, tend to dismiss what you're saying just because there's a lack of understanding and friends as well. There yeah. is a general lack of belief that what you're saying is anything more than, oh, well, that's just how things are um, without understanding the, the specific nuances of a neurodiverse relationship and how it may sound similar to, to a typical relationship, but there is so much that's different about it that um, you can't really convey very easily in words. Right. And so um, if people have this understanding of what it actually is, what the differences are, what the, the nuances are, what, what makes a neurodiverse different to a typical relationship if people gain more of that understanding then we can have better conversations with our families with our friends and with our um, counselors and therapists that are helping us yes amen and i i love that you said that because another thing that i have experienced is when I shared what was going on in my relationship, um, I got pushback from family. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think the reason, this is just my feeling and my experience, is because what we've been talking about, people don't know what autism is. Mm -hmm. So many people think it is, again, something that happens children they you know knew somebody whose child was nonverbal and not going to ever be able to be independent how can my family member 
be autistic. That is just absolutely ridiculous. And that comes from ignorance. And I don't say ignorance as a bad word. It's ignorance because our society has not done a good job of educating us about the different levels of autism, the different ways in which people can present who are neurodivergent, not just autistic. So your work is going to be and is so critical for people who not only are in the helping profession, but have family members who are neurodivergent. And I think understanding the differences is so critical. And I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the cognitive differences that, you know, if you, if you are just beginning a relationship with someone and I get emails and messages on Instagram from people who will tell me, I just started a relationship. They're usually in their twenties. And I know my partner is autistic and I would love to come to your support group so I can learn more and be the best partner I can be. I just love that. <laughs> I, I think, oh my gosh, I wish I had that opportunity, right? And, and then I also get, you know, emails from people that have been married 20, 30, even 40 years and say, I'm at my, I'm at my last straw or, you know, this is the last straw. I don't know that I can stand this relationship anymore. My husband, wife, spouse, partner just got diagnosed with autism and now I don't know what to do. So, so what do you see are some, or what did you see are some of the cognitive differences for those that might be listening to the podcast and they're dating somebody or they're married to somebody or they're living with somebody or friends with somebody. And they're like, this person is different, but I don't know exactly what I'm hearing or seeing or feeling. Any thoughts you want to share that might help folks? Um, Would I be able to read out a little bit and give a little bit of a um uh from your book into my my second book not the the book that i'm i've already written but a little snippet of what is in my second book because that i've written that um just to say exactly what the answer to what you were saying Fabulous. Um, Go for it, Bron. I'd love to hear it. And I know the listeners would too. Um, it's just a few paragraphs. Okay. So the autism spectrum is a highly prevalent neurodevelopment or condition, which is the result of a genetic variance in the hard wiring of the brain. This different wiring produces significant differences in the anatomy and function of the specific brain regions associated with social behavior. These brain variations affect the ability to understand other people, as well as being able to read facial expressions, body language, and also infer what other people think or feel. Adults who would have been previously identified as um, Asperger's syndrome, that is those with more subtle difficulties, are less visible 
and less apparent than those with classic autism. However, it is misleading to think that the impact of autism is any less challenging for them or for those in their lives. Due to the wiring of their brain, all people on the autism spectrum have one thing in common, with more subtle difficulties or with more ob obvious signs of autism, diagnosed or not, with more complications or not, with comorbidities or not, with more awareness or not, with different traits and unique features, they will all find social interaction and social functioning challenging, especially challenging in all forms of emotional and affectionate interpersonal communication. Therefore, in varying degrees, all people on the autism spectrum will find relating and relationships difficult. Due to the wiring of their brain, all people who are not on the autism spectrum will um, also have one thing in common. Whether introverted or extroverted with different temperaments and different abilities and inabilities, they do not have the same structural differences in the regions of the brain that support social interaction and social functioning as people with um, autism do. They do not experience the same social challenges in the same way as people with autism do. They do not find relating and relationships as challenging as people with autism do. These differences are hardwired. And that is the thing that we need to understand is that um, <clears throat> these unique features on how the brain works establishes distinctive behavior for each. And that is what we need to understand is that this is hardwired. It's not a case of um, like purposely, purposely doing something to hurt the other person. I yeah. want to add that, right. <laughs> yeah. yes. So um, when we start to understand that our brains are actually wired differently, I think that is um, quite an aha moment for people in that it's not intentional what is going on from either side. Mm -hmm. People that are not on the autism spectrum want to have this interaction because that's how they are in the world, how they exist in the world. People that are on the autism spectrum are wired differently. They are wired towards more non-social activities. That is the way their brains are wired. So it's not intentional, but we need to work out, well, how do we go about um, overcoming this different um, brain wiring? Right. I look at it the same way as you know, there's men and women in the world and we are basically different. Mm -hmm. And when we don't um, attack um, a female for being a female or a male for being a male because we're wired differently. Mm -hmm. so it's the same sort of thing. We need to understand that there is different wiring 
So how can we make these two different wirings connect better? Mm. It was it was so interesting. And I know, you know, we talk about this and, and I hope that the listeners will take what you said and hear it in the way that I think we want everybody to receive it. And that is that our brains, no matter if we're neurodivergent, autistic, ADHD, neurotypical, however we define ourselves, our brains are different. Just like you said, if we're female, male, non-binary, however we define our um, gender or our um, sexual identification, whatever, or gender identification, whatever terms we use to identify ourselves, we are wired differently. Mm. And so what we're saying is, or what I'm hearing you say, and what I, I would also say is that understanding the cognitive differences, the way our brains are wired, the way our bodies are wired, a man who is born a man and is a man until he dies is not going to go through perimenopause and menopause. They are not going to have a period. They're never going Mm -hmm. to be able to get pregnant. Right. And I think, I think, um, and, and I don't want to confuse the matter, but I think this is where some people have challenges with trans individuals because they may have been born, you know, a woman, so they might still be able to get pregnant, even though they're a trans man. But I, again, I don't want to complicate it, but the fact of the matter is we're all different. Mm. Understanding those differences and which differences are hardwired like being a man or a woman or whatever gender you identify with or being neurodivergent, autistic, ADHD, or dyslexic, or, and we can keep going and going, mm-hmm. things that are wired into your brain may not be things that you can work on changing yes. ever. <laughs> No matter what therapist you go to, no matter what books you read. So I think what what I'm hearing you also say is we need to understand the differences that are hardwired and the ways in which we can change. And if we decide we want to make changes, no matter where we are on, you know, whether we're neurodivergent or not, where we want to make changes determines whether or not the life we're leading is, you know, uh, is we feel content about it. We feel happy about it. Whether the relationship we're in, we feel happy about it. We feel content about it. We feel like it's a positive experience for us. So thoughts on that? Because I said a lot and so did you. And I'd love to hear your thoughts if you have anything you want to add. Yes. Well, um, this is what I I really believe is that um, it's understanding really diffuses, I think, a lot of the issues that people have. It's understanding that um, that there is a difference and that that difference is not something that somebody is choosing to do mm-hmm. because it's like... Um, yeah, I'm I'm a short person. 
No. I would love to have been a tall person, but there is nothing I can do to make myself be a tall person. I'm a right. short person. Right. And so it's that sort of thing. We need to understand that um, there are some things that are how they are. And, yes, people have the ability to work on things and learn because our brains are plastic. Yep. So just because they are um, a certain way does not mean that it's set in stone and that we can't develop and grow um, and change. But I think that it's important to understand that that uh, brain difference is something that is not intentional. Mm -hmm. And I think that that diffuses the angst between people once they understand this is not something that somebody is actually um, having a go at me right. about. Right. But it's a starting point, I guess, a starting point of that understanding that there is this brain difference. So what do we do now? Yes. Where do we go with this? How do we make our relationship work better with this understanding? Where can we go to find um, the right sort of information to um, educate ourselves to understand what this difference actually means? Mm -hmm. um, and then um, get the help and support that we need to move forward and to grow and develop and grow more together mm -hmm. with that understanding that we are different and that that's not, that's not a problem. That's just something that we need to um, work towards understanding. Right. Oh, Bron, I, I think that that is so important. And I'm going to use an example from my marriage because I was actually talking to somebody about this. I had forgotten about this. And I think this is really important because I would have, I would have handled it differently. And I think it would have worked out differently if I had known we were a neurodiverse couple earlier. So a few years before my ex-husband and I separated, I was at a conference a few hours from our home. And uh, in the middle of the night, I thought I was having a heart attack and I went to the emergency room. I'm at a conference, right? So my ex is a few hours away from me and I call him while I'm going to the emergency room. And I told him, I don't know if I'm having a heart attack or not. I actually was able to drive myself. Um, I'm checking myself into the emergency room. And he's like, okay. I never heard from him again. Mm. He didn't call me. He didn't text me. Um, you know, I was, I was keeping him updated, but he didn't reach out to me. I don't know if I had woken him up in the middle of the night. I don't know. Cause he, he didn't sleep well, but, um, and he had just gone back to sleep. I, I don't know. I don't know what was happening. So, um, I called him or texted him when I got discharged. I didn't have a heart attack. I thank God. Um, but they did say to me that they thought I had had one previously. I, I don't know how long ago. So I had to come back and get a stress test, but all, all that happened. And when I got home, he wasn't home. I had to drive myself home. 
the two hours and I got home and he wasn't home. Didn't call me, came home like, I don't know, 8.30 at night from work, walked in, didn't ask me how I was doing. I started screaming. I'm like, I was in the hospital. I thought I was having a heart attack and you did not come down. You did not drive down. You did not call me. You did not check on me. And you came home late from work. And I did not talk to him like this, Braun. I was screaming. Mm-hmm. He was in shock. He was in, in shock that I was so upset. And I had forgotten about this. And I realized that what I would have done differently if I had known we were neurodiverse as I would have said to him, I am scared and I need you here by my side. Please get in the car and drive down here now. Mm-hmm. I, if he had, if he had called me at two 30 in the morning or whatever time it was and said, I'm checking myself in to the hospital or I'm at the emergency room. I think I had a heart attack. I'd be like, where are you? I'm getting in the car right now. I'll be there in two hours. There wouldn't yeah. be even if he had said, no, 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 I would have gotten in the car and gone. I was not explicit in telling him what I needed. So I think he either made the assumption that because I was in the hospital, I was okay. I was being taken care of. And if every, everything was okay, great. If not, he would get a call from me. But we just read the, the, the scenario so different. Yes. And I, I think that was the beginning of me wanting a separation. Because I could believe that I think I was like 50 or 51 at the time and I'm 59 now. If this is how my husband is going to respond when I'm when I think I'm sick or I think I've had something happen to me, how can I trust him to be there for me by my side as I get older? Mm. Right. So I share this because in that situation and so many others, it would have made all the difference to know we were a neurodiverse couple. Thoughts? Yes, I think that that's um, spot on. That it's all it makes all the difference to know, but also I think it makes all the difference that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. I am so committed to as much as I am able to educate the world in this because I feel like. Um, it's not just in between the couple themselves. It's the world needs to be educated so that we all grow in this understanding and help each other in it. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, uh, basically, if you had a known, yes, you would have done things differently. But also um, maybe um, having more people around would have helped too in as far as not leaving you two just on your own dealing mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. Being able to reach out to others, be, being able to, to gain support um, from other people as well to um, relieve the tension on just the couple themselves going through it. Because um, <clears throat> yes, it helps you to understand, um, like if you had have understood what your situation was at the time, 
yes, you could have handled it differently, but maybe also there would have been other ways in as far as if he was not able to um, come and support you himself, maybe there would be someone else that could have done it if everyone had known. Right. Um, um, I'm not sure that I'm making... You are 100% making so much sense. And, you know, I don't think anybody on the podcast has said that. So I think that's going to hit hard for a lot of couples. Because just as you were saying that, I remember my sister saying to me, she was screaming at the top of her lungs when I told her that my that I was driving myself home from the hospital and that my husband had not come down. She said, you should have called me. I'm like, it was two 30 in the morning. She goes, I don't care. I would have woken up. I would have come down there. I would have been by your side. I can't believe your husband didn't come. And you're right. Because maybe if we had known we were a neurodiverse couple, maybe I would have also known that he did not have the bandwidth to handle medical emergencies when it came to me. You know, he might have been able to do it for other family members or friends. And I don't know that this is the case, but I kind of have a feeling. I think it was hard for him to see me so vulnerable and, you know, maybe even thinking about possibly losing me. But because he was great in emergencies, just not when they came to me. <laughs> um, and and so you're right. I, I might have said to him or maybe even done a three-way call with my sister and said, which one of you can come down here? I need one of you here with me. I love that. I love that. And then he would have known that I had somebody if he wasn't, you know, going to be able to provide me with the emotional support I needed. Because when you're in a, in a medical crisis or any crisis, you need to know that there's at least one person who loves you, who can be there and hold your hand or hug you if you're not, autistic and I'm not saying there aren't autistic people who need this but I would say you know I don't have any neurotypical friends or non-autistic friends who don't need this but you know everybody's different so yeah great great point any other thoughts you have regarding the cognitive dif differences that you want to share with the listeners um well there's all sorts of differences um i'm not sure how deep you want me to go into it with um you know the the um theory of mind and being able to read other people and how um we are uh, more able to just see what somebody else is going through just by looking at them their body language their um their um you, their tone of voice there yeah I feel yeah. very in tune with people and I can look at somebody walking past me and I can feel what they feel mm. so um you know that's just how I am and I understand that um people on the spectrum may not have quite that same level of um ability through because of their brain wiring to read your body language to understand what you're saying so <clears throat> that can um, cause a division in a relationship because mm -hmm. as a neurotypical you kind of expect that that's how everybody is if you don't know that 
um, you're in a neurodiverse relationship or you don't know the full extent of the differences, you can expect that because you know that, that everybody knows that mm -hmm. and everybody can do that because you just kind of think, well, that's how everybody is. But um, it's that understanding that there are differences in that and that people on the spectrum may need more verbal input rather than um, being able to see your distress or difficulties that you're going through when um, you know, just by looking at your body and understanding um, <clears throat> what to do from viewing it. Yeah. That often people on the spectrum need to be told. Yeah. And they need it verbally rather than um, it being instinctive in understanding what to do as we would be, as, as a neurotypical person would actually, um, you know, read somebody's uh, body language and then know what to do. So there is that big difference in relationships and that can cause huge division at times. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I can tell you, I mean, that happened a lot in my marriage. And I think one of the things that I was very clear about um, that I said to my ex was, you know, when I'm upset, the best thing that you can do is come and hug me. And most of the time he would do that. He had learned that that was the way to calm me down. But sometimes when he was a little confused or, or he wasn't sure because I was angry at him and screaming at him, um, he would ask, do you need a hug? And I loved that he heard me in that area. And mm. I think it's really important for the neurotypical partners to communicate clearly what they need in times of distress when they're sad when they feel hurt when they feel angry you know and and not to expect our partners to guess what we need say it and don't be sarcastic you know and don't expect them to read your mind and don't get mad if your partner can't read your mind and I think I hear that over and over again as a a kind of bone of contention for the neurotypical or non-autistic partner and I really don't think it's fair I, I don't I mean, you know I know it may feel like it should come naturally to your partner but it doesn't ex accepting that it doesn't and figuring out how you work together as a team rather than you feeling that you're being neglected or not valued or whatever because I'll tell you my husband my ex-husband's hugs were the best in town and <laughs> they were priceless oh. and when he gave them to me and he gave them often um it was wonderful you know it really was a gift that he was giving me and I was really thankful that he heard me I mean there are other things that you know we didn't do for each other because we didn't know the other person needed it but that was a really good one so mm. let, can we talk a little bit about theory of mind before we we wrap up because I think that's an issue that a lot of people talk about but I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of how you maybe define it and, and what you saw from the people or what you heard from the people that you talked to or surveyed. 
Well, it it um, seems that basically there is a, a brain difference so that um, people on the spectrum um, have this difference with theory of mind, whereas um, as a neurotypical, um, we can um, understand that um, I've just lost it from it. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's like we could put ourselves in the other person's place, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like it's it's like a combination of perspective taking, you know, knowing that other people can have different perspectives on a topic and also yeah. being able to kind of say, Okay, I understand why you would think that rather than you're a stupid idiot for thinking that the only logical way to address this is like this, right? Yeah. <laughs> is yes. that the non-academic way of defining it? <laughs> yes, it's that um, it, it sort of comes into empathy as well, that understanding, you know, the, the being able to put yourself in that situation and know what you would like to have happen if you're in it mm -hmm. um, is, is the difference, I think, that makes such a difference in relationships is the, the, um, <clears throat> the, for lack of a better way of saying it, the inability of being able to put themselves in your position um, from the um, autistic viewpoint makes it very difficult to um, work through because, because you can do it as a neurotypical so instinctively. Um, you look at somebody, you can um, see their perspective. It's, it's almost like you can read their mind without actually reading their mind. You can, mm -hmm. you feel like you, you understand what they're going through. You can see their body. You can see the, the body language. You can feel everything that, that um, they're going through because you can put yourself in that situation. Um, when a person cannot do that, that means that you have to say more than what you normally would. Mm -hmm. And that puts a lot of pressure on a neurotypical person. And that's one of the things I found in my research was that having to verbally say what you kind of expect the other person to be able to instinctively do rather than to be told can cause some strain and difficulty. Mm -hmm. This is an area that um, uh, can be quite uh, an, an area of conflict for people. And I guess this is, it comes back to where we need to uh, learn what the brain differences are to understand that if if somebody can't do something, they can't do something. It's not their fault or they're not doing it on purpose. They right. just can't do it. 
Right. So it's like if somebody is blind, you can't expect them to see. Right. Right. And and I wanna I wanna turn it around also because I hear this over and over again and I saw it with my ex-husband, you know, having mind blindness regarding the autistic person's brain. I just could not understand how my ex-husband could sit in his computer room for 24 hours, possibly 48 hours, and never come out. Yes. I just, I could not understand that. I, it just yes. blew, it blew my oh, mind. I mean, you I know. cannot understand it <laughs> Or, you know, working on a project and, and, you know, I said this in jest, we almost divorced after our first year together because we were putting wallpaper up in a bathroom that was like the size of a telephone booth. It wasn't a very big bathroom, but he had to line up. It, it was a flowered pattern. He had to line up every single flower and line perfectly. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I will never work on a project with you again. So, you know, <laughs> what I thought would take an hour, you know, took him much, much longer. I didn't get how his brain functioned and worked and how he could do something for so long without a break of any sort. And he didn't understand how how I could jump from project to project. I have a lot of ADHD traits. I say this often on the podcast. You know, I could be working on five things at the same time. And that stimulated me. That got me excited. That brought me joy. Not him. He wanted to go deep into his one thing that he was working on and he could do it for years whereas I changed from job to job every two to three years I had to find a new job because not because I was fired but because I was bored and and I I think we we have to in our relation our neurodiverse relationships understand that there's mind blindness on both sides you know yes well that's true right Yes, it's the whole lack of understanding of each other because there is such a difference. It's sort of like, well, how can you be like that? <laughs> how can you think like that? How right. can you do that? <laughs> right, right. Yes, you're a fly on the wall of my home when we were married because I literally would say that. How could you do that? How could you do that? Ooh. And, and he, he was much less confrontational than me. So he usually didn't say that. He just like looked at me like, where's she coming from? You know, um, so this has been a really wonderful conversation. And I'm really looking forward to all the conversations we're going to have in the future. And I'm wondering if there's anything else that you want to share before we wrap up. Because this is kind of like an introduction to some of the things that, you know, I may have talked with others about, but we kind of brought it all together, kind of a little foundation from which to start. Anything else that you want to share with the listeners? Well, um, can I give myself a little bit of a plug? <laughs> Absolutely. I was going to next to let people know where they can contact you and, you know, about your book, anything you want to share. Well, my, my uh, website is www.bronwilson.com mm-hmm. um, and that's where you can buy my book. 
um, and I really, really want everybody in the world to buy my book, not just because it's my book and I've written it, <laughs> but because I really passionately feel that it contains information that everybody needs to have, not just in a neurodiverse relationship, but people to understand neurodiverse relationships as well. Because this is, I went to the people. Yes. I asked the people. It's yeah. not like as if it is a um, you know, totally academic, um, like it was, was an academic research project, but um, it's basically, you know, for the people. It's, right. This is uh, information that the people themselves have given to me. They have shared their innermost lives with me and I feel very privileged that they did that. But this is something that I want to share with the world as well because I, it's the amount of gems that I got from people I really think that people need to read it to um, get that understanding because this is us speaking to ourselves mm -hmm. and speaking to others who need to know. Yeah. And that's basically what this book is, is for and about is it's our, our wor words because it's the words of the participants. So mm -hmm. it's our words are what we need ourselves to know as well as other people to know about yeah. our relationships. Yeah, I love it. And and anybody who does buy the book, Bron, will probably feel the way I did. They'll get through it very quickly and they'll be like, oh my gosh, it's so wonderful to know that we're not alone, that you know, I'm not the only one that feels this or my partner's not the only one that feels this. You know, other people have struggled and have questioned these issues. And that's why I do the podcast. You know, I realized that I wasn't alone. And when I first started the podcast, I thought if, if I help one other individual in a neurodiverse relationship or one other couple, then I will have done my job. But I and I tell people we're at over 80 thousand plays of the podcast in yes. over That's 60 amazing. over 60 countries oh. so you know and and it's growing i mean you know i just had somebody from moscow come onto my website i have people from spain and italy and greece and all over listening to the podcast it's, it's just phenomenal you know and it's, i um, go ahead <laughs> this is what i found with doing my research because I talk to people all around the world mm -hmm. and the same issues are the same for everybody. That's what blew me away. It doesn't matter what culture you're from, what country you're from, um, what um, type of relationship you have, the same issues seem to play out in um, our type of relationships it's the same, so we um, <clears throat> we can not feel alone then because we are all going through this same thing, and I think it helps to understand 
that it's not just you, it's not just me in this relationship, but this is a thing kind of outside of our relationship. And it diffuses our feeling towards each other because we understand that this is a dynamic that happens. And with that understanding, then we can start to work our way forward through it. And right. I think that's the important thing is to find strategies and ways to make things work better rather than to keep on having the angst at each other. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better. And I, again, I don't have a magic wand, but if I did and it was working 24 <laughs> seven, what I would, I, what I would want that magic wand to do is exactly what you just said to help people understand that it's not you against me or me against my partner. It's we yeah. have differently wired brains. We have to yeah. understand ourselves and each other and then work together to address the problem areas or the challenges we're having, not because we don't like each other, we don't respect each other, we don't trust each other, but because we are literally wired differently. Mm. So that's why that's another reason I named this podcast neurodiverse love because no matter what I will always care deeply about all the people in my life who are autistic or were autistic because my father was and he passed away in 2005 but not knowing that you know all these people are or were autistic um, made me want to to do this podcast and everything else I'm doing because it's now my mission Nobody should suffer because of unknown neurodiversity, but there's too many people that are. So, Braun, I'm looking forward to our next conversation, and I will put in the show notes um, the title of your book, and I will put your website on there, too. And to our audience, Braun will be back for at least three or four other episodes. And if you have questions for Braun or for me or topics that you'd like us to address in the future, feel free to go to Braun's website and send her a message, or you can send me an email at neurodiverselove, the number four, the letter U at gmail.com. Thank you, Braun. I appreciate, again, all the work you've done and for you being a guest co-host and sharing it with the world. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're most welcome. I've enjoyed every moment of it. Me too. Take care. You too.